Hello and welcome to another episode of the Migration Oxford podcast. I'm Rob McNeil. And I'm Jackie Broadhead. And in today's episode, we are talking about the politics of emigration. Now, in theory, Jackie was supposed to be asking the questions on this one, but unfortunately she had to go to the dentist, so I ended up doing them. Uh, Nevertheless, I'm going to ask Jackie, why did you want to talk about this subject? I think, firstly, because often we talk about the politics of public opinion around immigration, but we don't often consider emigration. And from Yulia's really interesting paper, there was also this idea of the politics of emigration within European countries. So again, often when we talk about, you know, a very simplistic binary between uh, sending and receiving countries, this idea that countries are either countries of immigration or countries of emigration, that some countries move between the two. But actually, we know that all countries are countries of immigration and countries of emigration. And the way that we think about emigration isn't as obsessed over as attitudes towards immigration. And that was, I thought, really interesting finding of this piece of public opinion research and and a question that we don't think about often enough. So, Jackie, can you explain what the basic idea is behind this discussion today then? So I think the starting point is a piece of research that looked at Greece, Hungary, Italy, Poland and Spain. And about half of the respondents in those countries revealed a preference for emigration controls that would prevent people from leaving the country for extended periods of time. And that was really surprising. It's not something that features, by and large, within the politics of the EU. Generally, there is a belief in a right to exit, essentially, a kind of rights in particular to free movement is very important within, obviously, the culture of the EU. What was so interesting to me about it is that we talk all of the time about immigration control. And in fact, when we think about net migration statistics, for example, obviously, they include both immigration and emigration. But we never really think about the emigration side of things. And what was so interesting to me about this piece of work and this conversation is that it talked both about emigration, but also the politics of emigration. And in ageing societies, for example, or uh, countries that are in demographic decline, this could really become a growing issue. And it's not really one that researchers or politicians are talking about at the moment. Absolutely. We're now joined by Anna Kiriassi a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Political and Social Sciences at the University of Milan, Yulia Rone, a postdoctoral researcher at the Mindaroo Centre for Technology and Democracy at the University of Cambridge, and Madeleine Reeves, Professor in the Anthropology of Migration here at the University of Oxford. So firstly, look, thank you so much to all three of you for uh, for joining us today. Um, Let me start with you, Yulia. Um, Your recent work is based on this intriguing question. What are the political effects of emigration on sending countries? So can you explain what drew you to this topic and what you found? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm a social movement scholar and I realized quite quickly that there has been a discussion about the uh, basically tension between emigration and political participation. And so with a colleague of mine, Tom Jones, first we did a paper which was trying to see basically the 
consequences of emigration for protest participation. We thought that if politically active people emigrate, that's basically the end of it. And so there is this very interesting hypothesis by Kellerman about the authoritarian equilibrium and the idea that if progressive uh, people emigrate abroad, basically we have uh, authoritarians having a very comfortable and cozy time at home. But what we found was surprisingly different. So we realized that actually people quite often continue to participate. So exit does not necessarily hinder voice, it might transform it. But then, of course, we asked ourselves, is this the same in very different contexts? And with Anna, my colleague, um, Manes Weiskircher and Mariana Mendes, we decided to do this big comparative agenda setting paper, basically studying the consequences of emigration. So yeah, I would say in short, for me, it was this interest about interest in how does emigration influence protest? Um, and then it got expanded to voting and other uh, forms of participation. And so, so Madeline, I mean, obviously you deal with a very different part of the world. You also deal, though, with this issue of the political effects of emigration on sending countries. So how about you? What would you say your experience uh, or your kind of work tells you about this? Yeah, it's really interesting hearing um, Yulia's uh, answer there, because I think, so I work in Central Asia, in, in Kyrgyzstan predominantly, um, and in a sense, at a very different um, scale in terms of conducting sort of long-term ethnography rather than big um, survey research. But I think also um, I found interesting dynamics around um, the impacts of emigration, for instance, on political mobilization in Kyrgyzstan in a context of significant political turmoil. And I think one of the interesting dynamics here is the role now of social media that means that sometimes diasporic populations can actually be extremely politically engaged and in authoritarian political contexts, they might in some ways have greater access to information than those inside a country, and so can have significant kind of impacts on political dynamics, whether that is sort of revolutionary movements or um, um, social mobilization, or just um, sort of demands for greater representation and so on. Fascinating. And so, Anna, can you tell me a little bit about what we know about the people who stay and what they think about emigration, how they frame it? So I will I will just take a step back and also tell you a little bit my motivation to research this subject and actually link this to to my answer to your question. So I am I come from two European countries. I'm half Greek, half Hungarian, um, and so I follow the debates in these countries um, a lot. Um, and what I saw is that there is a lot of talk about immigration in both contexts. You know, in Greece, after the economic crisis, many people leaving the country you know, to, to go work somewhere else. In Hungary as well, a lot of people emigrating. And as Julia said, sometimes this connects to the kind of autocratization of the country. You know? But at the same time, in, in the academic literature, we actually didn't find a lot of research about this. So we thought that there is a bit of a blind spot here. We talk so much about immigration, you know, how natives react to immigration, immigration parties, how this shapes, you know, political competition. But we didn't really have um, much to work with um, in relation to the other side of the coin. So in relation to what people think about emigration in countries of emigration, you know, in countries from which um, a lot of people live, this was also a bit of a blind spot. We didn't really have a lot of information about this because surveys basically don't really ask these questions. Um, and there was a, a survey a few years ago commissioned by the European Council for Foreign Relations. 
There are, of course, some surveys done uh, domestically in these countries. And then we also did a survey um, in the research project um, for which I am working on, asking uh, people exactly these questions. And what we find uh, in brief is that in countries where uh, a lot of people emigrate from, there is indeed a big concern um, with emigration. So people are actually worried about this. Um, they are worried about uh, the sustainability of welfare states. Um, they just see emigration also as part of a broader failure of the state. Um, economic, but also political. And it's very interesting that when you ask these questions in countries that are more on the receiving side of immigration, here respondents focus a bit more on, on kind of personal autonomy. So if you ask them, why are people migrating here? They will say, ah, because they seek life experiences, you know, these type of things. While in countries of emigration, people focus a lot on, on the factors that actually push people away. This is really interesting. It brings me to the next question, which if I can um, maybe speak to you about, Yulia, we hear a lot about this idea of brain drain and the idea that sending countries risk losing their best and brightest. What all three of you have described so far is a kind of political brain drain. But I mean, what are the other impacts that people who stay consider when they're thinking about people who leave? Yeah, the brain drain narrative is particularly interesting because it's usually the way emigration is being framed in sending countries. We are losing our brightest and youngest, etc. But actually, uh, so I'm Bulgarian, I forgot to mention this uh, Eastern European. And what we see is a cross-sectional migration of the population, uh, which actually is very rarely discussed in these terms. We see also a lot of agricultural migration, care migration, etc., and the effects of this cross-sectional migration are various and very curious for us. So first of all, of course, we have uh, basically population decline. Uh, and this leads quite often to lower levels of political participation. And there has been very interesting research by Anneli and Perry on, on this topic in the Italian context. We also have uh, this hypothesis about the strengthening of the far right uh, in sending countries. So as older people remain and more conservative people, we see a rise, basically, of far-right voting. And this is a very interesting connection that I think is not enough explored. So there is a lot of research on immigration in the far-right, but much less on the, the effects of emigration. And of course, beyond the political effects, there are, as um, Anna already mentioned, very serious socioeconomic effects in terms of basically being able to sustain your Pension systems, uh, healthcare is another aspect which uh, is very much affected by immigration. Uh, we see from um, the experience of a lot of uh, Eastern and Southeastern European countries, a lot of doctors migrating. And this was particularly clear during the COVID crisis, where we had such a shortage of doctors and nurses who had all emigrated. So there are many, many interesting and important effects that are sadly overlooked and we hoped with our article, basically, to, to draw attention to these issues and spur a bit more uh, research and interest in this. And Madeline, does that resonate with you? Or do you think that you have a very different set of experiences that people feel in Central Asia? I think there are certain sort of interesting parallels, but also certain interesting differences. So um, this phenomenon of, as Julia was saying, sort of different demographics emigrating. And the, although this is often framed just as brain drain, certainly in the Central Asian context, where, you know, we have states that are some of the most remittance dependent in the world, there's a sense that migrating now is just a necessity for young men who finish school. Um, and the discourse around that is just, you know, it's there aren't job opportunities here, so we have to leave. And I think that feeds back in a really interesting way then into the politics, 
because, say, in the Central Asian case, the vast majority of those migrating as, as labor migrants are migrating to Russia. And that creates then particular kinds of political dependencies as well that people are acutely aware of and their political leaders are acutely aware of, right? It reflects then in, say, the Central Asian states' um, very restrained voting patterns in the UN when it comes to condemning the Russian invasion of Ukraine and things like this. So there are all sorts of sort of very interesting political consequences. And in addition to the social and, and kind of cultural impacts that Yulia mentioned um, for instance, around the migration of doctors, which is certainly something we see from, from Central Asia. I think it also plays into anxieties around demographic decline. And indeed, right at the moment, for instance, in Turkmenistan, which is one of the most closed and repressive states in the world, right, sort of up there in the top league with, with North Korea, there's actually a lot of attempts to actually prevent people from exiting the country ahead of a national census, because the question of demographic decline associated with out-migration is so intensely politicized. So, you know, there are demographic anxieties, there are cultural anxieties, there are sort of public discourses around, um, or let's say from a political elite, around those migrating being unpatriotic and lazy and so forth. So it's a very, very kind of deeply politicized field, I would say. So, Yulia, emigration seems to have an important impact on political voice, so on who's listened to and who gets to participate. Um, one interpretation sees exit as essentially an alternative to voice, whereby those who leave essentially cease to participate. Though in some contexts, expat voices can shape political debates from afar. So how does your research reflect this? Yeah, so basically one of the things that I find very interesting is this trade-off, as, as we mentioned earlier, between exit and um, voice. Interestingly enough, uh, Madeleine mentioned that sometimes people who are afar have more resources, but uh, very good research on the um, Iranian 2009 Twitter revolution, so the last big wave of protest, has shown that quite often also people who are afar don't have a super realistic perspective on uh, what's happening on the ground, and so they might push for things that are a bit too extreme for the local context. So there are these very interesting details that I think need to be taken into account. And of course, the importance of immigrants is very um, strongly contested. Um, coming from the Bulgarian context, the biggest fights, basically, in the last two years in the country were uh, fights around the um, electoral, basically, uh, law that would have allowed emigrants to have uh, their own basically representative region uh, and that would have allowed them to have more voice. And of course, this was a very hotly contested issue. And this is maybe also one of the biographical reasons why I'm interested in this, because with a population where such a large percent of the population is abroad, the participation of these people really matters, and it is an object of political contestation. And that, of course, raises many important philosophical questions, such as should someone who is not in the country have a say on how the budget is made, uh, whether infrastructure is being invested in, etc. So these are very interesting and controversial topics that are still very open. And again, we need to do more research on them. So I think if there is one thing we want to do is to urge people, please pay attention to this as well. So, Anna... Some states have considered incentivizing return. How does this affect how states engage with their diaspora communities and how that is viewed by those who stay? Yeah, that's a very good question. And there is quite a bit of uh, research on the so-called diaspora policies. So we know a lot about, you know, how states um, are trying to engage their so-called diaspora, so people who live abroad. 
Um, and so policies uh, to incentivize return is one type of this um, diaspora policies, but there are also others. So for example, how to engage them economically, we talked about remittances a little bit, how to uh, cultivate cultural linkages, but also a, a, a diaspora policy can also be a policy of neglect, no? Um, now, what is very interesting are these um, explicit return policies. So you don't want people to stay abroad. You actually want them to come back. Um, and there is some interesting research zooming into this specific topic because this hasn't been really um, the, the focus of research, like independently. Um, so we don't know much about it. One thing that we know is that most of these policies seem to be targeting these kind of uh, valuable immigrants. We talked a little bit about this. So young people, um, highly skilled people. It's really interesting to look at the labels of these policy programs. So many of them have the word brain in them. So rebrain Greece, for example, is, um, is one such program in the Greek context. Um, and so these can be policies such as, for example, the state takes over um, paying the salary of a, of a particular person who has proven to come back and to, to take up a, a job in their home country. So another thing that we know about these policies is that they seem not to be really working. Actually, these programs, many times they are announced, you know, in a very pompous way. Ah, we are uh, instituting this policy. We want our young and bright uh, people to come back. We will do this. We will do that. We will. We allocated all this money. And then if you follow up on these projects, um, many of them um, actually uh, attracted back um, a handful of people, maybe like a few hundred or something of the sort, because well, immigration policies, or these return policies are really difficult actually to, to design because people move for all sorts of reasons, right? Um, and so here we, we are talking about the necessity of kind of broad labor market reforms, raising minimum wages, um, correcting kind of uh, imbalances uh, and inefficiencies in, in welfare states. So these would be, you know, the necessary policies and these type of smaller targeted programs, they seem not really to be working. Okay, so all of this raises wider questions about demographics and these being interlinked with questions about population decline, aging populations and other anxieties about demographic change. How does understanding perceptions of emigration help us to understand these dynamics better? I mean, Madeline, can I start with you on that? Sure, yes. I mean, in the Central Asian context, I think it's important to sort of separate out the kind of policy implications of labour migration and the ways that that affects, for instance, concerns about pension provision, concerns about the politics of care and provision of care for the elderly and so forth. And then there's a kind of symbolic level as well around anxieties over demographic decline. So I mentioned a little moment ago the case of Turkmenistan and um, the sort of the, the anxieties around the census there. We see this in other Central Asian states too, in contexts of sort of significant outmigration, a symbolic politics around protecting the gene pool, as it's often referred to. In fact, in Kyrgyzstan in 2013, there were attempts to 
prevent the out-migration of women under the age of 23, right? Um, so basically women of, of reproductive age um, were being encouraged to remain in the country. So there are all of these ways in which this plays out, not just in terms of particular policies around demographics, but in the symbolic level around demographics. And I think that this plays out also in interesting ways in terms of who is incentivized to return. Um, so Anna and Julia were drawing attention to the fact that it's a sort of, it's very often those who are educated migrants, the brain element being implicit in these policies. What I was thinking of when I was listening to that answer is how in a Central Asian context, it's also very much bound up with ideas of a sort of national identity. And for instance, if we take the case of Kazakhstan, um, particular incentives around encouraging ethnic Kazakhs from Mongolia, from China, um, to migrate to Kazakhstan, less as a form of rebraining than more as a kind of drawing back the authentic Kazakhs to their homeland. And so I think it's really important to draw attention to, to sort of look not just the kind of economic motivations for incentivizing return migration, return here in, in kind of scare quotes, but also in the sort of ideological dynamics that underlie that in terms of, for instance, concerns to uh, rebalance what are perceived to be demographic inequities or to compensate for forms of cultural loss. And so it's very much bound up, I think, also with kind of politics of post-coloniality in Central Asia. And so, Yulia, I mean, does this resonate with the European context, do you think? Yeah, so I absolutely agree with uh, with Madeleine's point, because also within the European Union context, we see very clearly how concerns about demographics, the big picture, um, for example, very uh, strongly relate uh, with concerns over um, immigration. So immigration and emigration are very tightly connected. We cannot understand this fear of immigration in Eastern Europe without paying attention also to the element of emigration and the fear of nations disappearing. And very similar to what uh, Madeleine uh, describes, in at least in the European context, we can see also very clearly that emigration is very much racialized and it's also very much, uh, it has very strong gender aspects. So there was very interesting research actually um, on female emigration from Ukraine before uh, the war or like in the early years. Um, and it was very strongly culturally sanctioned with people really being very abusive towards women who emigrate because they don't stay at home to give birth to children and contribute to the basically fixing the demographic problem. Similarly, a lot of Eastern European nations do not have problem with their Roma populations emigrating, which is extremely problematic. Uh, and they're rarely included in the policy measures that Anna mentioned. Um, so demography, these ideals of what the nation should be, how the demographic problems should be solved, is extremely important to understand this. So emigration, immigration, race, these are all very, very strongly interrelated questions. In that case, I would like to thank all three of you very much indeed. It's been extremely interesting and, and I think a really, really great chat. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Migration Oxford podcast. I'm Jackie Broadhead. And I'm Rob McNeil.